today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. idea, that concept that God was going to be there with the people. And that whole idea that John writes that he came and he dwelt among us is that very idea of tabernacling. He came right in the middle of us to be there. And he, when, when God told Moses to do that with the tabernacle and the camp of Israel, it was again symbolic of the reality that one day in human flesh, God was going to dwell among us. He was going to pitch his tent with us and be with us. Christmas has been so greatly commercialized that Christ is the last person on most people's minds during this time. But the familiar saying is true. Christ is the reason for the season. As Pastor David will remind us in today's message, Jesus existed long before he came in the flesh. He is one with God and he has always existed. His appearance in the flesh is representative of his extreme love for humanity. He took on the pain, suffering, and temptations you and I know, and he died to redeem you into right relationship with God. Now here's Pastor David in the book of John chapter 1 as he begins his message, Christ Before Bethlehem. general frame and run of things, we usually don't think about Christ before Bethlehem very much. I mean, we speak about him being eternal, and we know that he was with God in the beginning, but we really don't think about him very much, uh, again, prior to Bethlehem. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the worlds. Well, he's telling us there that, that God has, has spoken to the world, to, to his creation, through the years, through his prophets of the past. But now, uh, at the coming of Christ, he's determined to, to speak, in essence, to us in the language of the Son the Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God would reveal himself totally and clearly through, through the life, through the works, through the words, through the ministry of reconciliation that was made available by the sacrifice of that very human life of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the creative portion of God, has and continues to speak. Now, the Apostle John writes to us in his gospel account in John 1, 1 through 4. Very familiar passage, I'm sure, to nearly all of you. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, 
And how many things were made through him? All, all, thi- all things were made through him. And without him, how many things were made? Nothing. nothing. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, because the word was God, all that we read about within, within that process of, of creation back in Genesis, you need to understand, because of who he is, everything that we see there in Genesis, in that creation uh, narrative, all of that was performed by or through God, by and through the Word. The Word. As a matter of fact, John tells us that uh, the, the very life and the light of men is also available only through the Word. And that word that John uses, which is translated as the Word, is actually a Greek word, logos, much greater than a, than a simple method of, of just verbal communication. John uses that word logos in the way that the ancient world defined that word logos. It had the, the definition or, or the meaning, varied of meanings, uh, expectation, word, speech, account, reason, portion, and discourse, but it actually became kind of a technical term in, in philosophy. And beginning with a fellow by the name of Hercules, uh, he said that it is a principle of order and knowledge, a principle of order and knowledge, logos itself, much more than the spoken word. No, uh, as Hercules saw it, it was, it was again, that, that great principle that brings things to order and knowledge. As a matter of fact, the Stoic philosophers they identified the term with the divine animating principle pervading the universe. In other words, going entire throughout all of the universe. That divine animating principle. Much more than what you and I would look at if we just normally would look at John uh, chapter 1, those, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. We don't really see it the way that the Greek culture saw it and understood it. In other words, to the Greek philosophers, the Logos is what made the world go around. It's what held everything in place. It's what maintained everything that we see. The Encyclopedia Britannica brings out the fact that the ancients looked at the Logos as the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. And with that very same ancient understanding, you need to understand, this is what John was writing. This is what the mindset that John wrote, what he wrote in the Gospel of John. And as John tells us about the Logos of God, he says down in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, and the Word, the Logos of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we understand that from the context of what John is writing, he spoke directly to the fact that the word of God or the logos of God, that divine presence, that principle of God that pervaded the entire universe, that divine power of God throughout all the cosmos, the one who orders it and gives form and meaning to everything that we know, became flesh and dwelt among us. 
He had that fullness of understanding when he used that word. The very essence, the very presence of God himself took upon himself human flesh and blood. It's the word incarnation. He took upon himself flesh, that carne. Uh, actually, the Greek word there is sarx. So it's, it's a word for flesh, the coming in human flesh. He then dwelt or he lived among us. And that word dwelt there means he tabernacled with us. He, In essence, he pitched his tent and came to live in our neighborhood, right, with us. He, he wanted to be with us. He wanted to have that relationship with us. And just as Moses was told in the Old Testament when he built the tabernacle, put it right in the center of all the camps of Israel. Because, again, that idea, that concept that God was going to be there with the people. And that whole idea that John writes that he came and he dwelt among us is that very idea of tabernacling. He came right in the middle of us to be there. And he, when, when God told Moses to do that with the tabernacle and the camp of Israel, it was, again, symbolic of the reality that one day in human flesh, God was going to dwell among us. He was going to pitch his tent with us and be with us. The Apostle Paul gives us a little bit more of the story as he writes to us in the letter, as he writes to the church of Galatia. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, he writes, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so we see here that through these words that God had this plan, and that plan had a timetable. And at God's perfect timing, at God's perfect plan, in the fullness of time, God chose to send his son to the earth through a supernatural conception, through the labor pains, ladies, of what normal birth is. You think that Mary didn't have any labor pains? Hey, she was human. She had them also. The very same birth process, again, God in human flesh came to us. The word of God became flesh. Emmanuel, you're familiar with that word, God with us. And in order to redeem us, in order that that we might become the very sons, the very daughters of God through faith in that completed work of Christ, of his sacrifice on the cross. Now, as awesome and as amazing as all of that is, I believe that God revealed himself actually to man through Christ in other ways, even prior to the incarnation, even prior to Bethlehem. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And this is the term pre-incarnation. Incarnation was his coming in the flesh. Pre-incarnation means it's before he came in human flesh. Again, uh, prior to his birth, prior to the incarnation. And I believe we're going to see in God's word that God had already made Christ known. Now, there's a lot of scriptures that we're going to be looking at tonight, uh, and, and, and so I would encourage you, uh, in some cases, rather than trying to look them all up, if you're taking notes, it might be easier just to take the notes. Uh, if you're fast and you're good at uh, the old uh, uh, Bible school uh, sword drills, uh, then maybe you can hang in there, but I don't want you to miss any of the references. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to take them out. Go to that book right after 
the book of contents. First book in the Bible, Genesis. Ought to be easy enough to find. Genesis 1.1. Again, a very familiar verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was actually in the, in the book of Hebrews where we find that, that God, through or by his Son, made all the worlds. So when you say, in the beginning, God created, well, Hebrews 1, 2 says that it was the Son that was that creative force, that creating force of God. We also find that in, in speaking of the place or the position or the work of Christ uh, from the Apostle Paul, when he writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Paul writes in Colossians that he, speaking of Jesus, is the image. And that, that word image actually is another interesting Greek word. Uh, the Greek word is icon. It is the icon, uh, the likeness, the representation, the image of the invisible God, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 16, for by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, rather thrones or powers, uh, uh, thrones or dominions, I'm sorry, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So what we see, what we know from what the Apostle Paul is saying, that everything that was made, when it speaks that God, in the beginning, God created, Jesus Christ is the creative power of God. That's what we see from what Paul is writing to us, that he was the one who wrote. That's what the writer of Hebrews declares to us. All that you see around you, um, all the desert, all the mountains, all the seas, the world, the solar system, the galaxies, everything that there is, all of the universe, and even the very matter or molecules that make up every facet of the universe was made, gang, by the pre-incarnate Christ. He was there active and involved from the very beginning. And then you move even into the realms of the unseen, things invisible, things of the spiritual realm. As he says here, rather thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he actually still remains as a sustainer of all things. All things continue because of him. So when we put it all together, and I know this is kind of a mixture of a few verses, but it helps me to kind of bring in the, the whole concept into my little mind. In the beginning, God, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and God created the heavens and the earth, and the Word was God, and all things were made through him, the Word, and without him, nothing was made that was made. It, it is God working in and through the Word, Jesus Christ, in the creation and the sustaining of all things. The very creative force of God was the Logos, the Word of God, the pre-incarnate Christ. This is why that, that very word for God that was used here in Genesis chapter 1 is the word Elohim. Now, Elohim is actually the plural 
of El. El is the Hebrew word for God, big G or little g. El is the word for God, okay? God in a plurality is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and they are all present in creation. When we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, hopefully you still got your Bibles, we even see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so we recognize that not only was the Word, the Logos, Christ himself present there at the creation, but also the Holy Spirit of God. And in that, we see the triunity of God very clearly, bam, right out of the chute, the first couple of verses in, the, in the, all of the Bible, you see, again, the triunity of God active and involved right there. We even see there in Genesis a little bit further down in verses 26 and 27 where the plurality of God declares in verse 26, then Elohim, the plurality of God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them, let man, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So Elohim created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Now you need to understand, God was not talking to the angels and saying, hey, let's you and I make man in our image. The angels had nothing to do with creation. They were created entities in and of themselves. No, what we see again is the fullness of the Trinity here, active in and through all of creation. But let me stick back to the subject of the pre-incarnate Christ, because there's a lot of areas, a lot of territory we could go on that, but we're sticking to the pre-incarnate Christ. One other aspect of the pre-incarnate Christ is what is called the Christophany. Christophany, big theological word. But before we get to that, I want to look at another theological word called the theophany. The theophany. Now the theophany, again, is described as a manifestation of God in the Bible that is tangible to the human senses. Tangible to the human senses. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, right now, we we believe that there is a God. We believe by faith. We cannot touch him. We don't hear him audibly. But there are times, again, this idea of theophany, where, again, he makes himself known in a tangible way through our human senses. In other words, a visible appearance of God in the Old Testament period, and often, but not always, in human form. When you look at the, uh, the burning bush, people look at that as, that's a theophany, as God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush. There's not a human, it's not, a, it's not like a, uh, an angel or anything, it's just the burning bush speaking. But the problem that we run in here, though, is with what's called theophanies, is that the Bible says that in reference to God, man is not able to see God or to behold God. As a matter of fact, God specifically told Moses in Exodus 33, 20, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And then John writes to us in John 1, 18, no one has seen God 
at any time. And then Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, 24, that God is spirit. And a spirit is, is, is like a breath. We, we don't see the breath. I mean, we can blow on something. We can see the, the results or the consequences of the breath, but we don't see the breath itself. So we have a problem because all through the Old Testament, we have this testimony of those who did see God. They did see the Lord. So let's look at a few of these. Beginning in Genesis chapter 12. If you're still in Genesis, all you got to do is go over a couple of uh, chapters. Genesis chapter 12. We're dealing during the time of uh, the the portion of Abraham and the whole situation with uh, uh, all, all that's going on with him and God beginning to work with him. In Genesis 12, verses 7 and 8. Then who appeared to Abram? There in verse 7. The Lord. And when we see the Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, when we see all the letters capitalized, it is the word Jehovah or Yahweh, okay? So that is speaking, Almighty God. That's what they're speaking of. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to the Lord, who had what? Appeared to him. So there's no doubt there. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai to the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And this was literally that point in time of of God's bringing Abram not only to faith but into submission, bringing him into that journey of his life with God. So Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. There's another one here. Uh, Look over in Genesis 18, another one still with uh, Abraham. In Genesis 18, beginning in verse 1, then again, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, appeared to him, speaking of Abram, or Abraham, appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And so he lifted up his eyes And looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. He bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, and now that's a smaller cow. He's not recognizing him as Jehovah at this point in time. He just sees three men coming. And so that is the word also that would be sir or or, or good master, uh, just a, a, a polite terminology. My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little uh, water be brought, wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread, and you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you say. And a little bit later on in that passage, we won't read the whole thing, but again, one of the men began to describe to Abraham what was going to happen, that they were going down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and because of the wickedness that has risen through the nostrils of God, they were going to destroy those cities.
Christmas time has arrived again, and with it, the typical carols, decorations, and events of the season. We're so glad that today you've taken the time to study God's Word with us and rejoice in the true reason for the season, Jesus Christ. How can we be praying for you during Christmas? We'd love to know, as well as how we can be joining you in praise for all God's doing. Would you give us a call? We can be reached at 520-836-9676. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor David's teachings, you'll find them online at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. Come by Calvary Chapel Casa Grande this weekend to join us for worship and Bible study. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again, or simply begin with the Gospel of Mark, a short and simple reading. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Merry Christmas.